0: Want a better way to hire? We asked businesses across Australia.
1: We trialled Liam through Youth Jobs Path and then hired him as a design assistant. Liam is so keen to learn. He gets along with everyone and we get help with wage and training costs. Louise gave me a go and now I've got a job. Yeah, it worked for us. To find motivated
0: young staff and get up to $10,000 in assistance, search Youth Jobs Path. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra, spoken by Jay Green, L Nobes and L Nicolaou. Hello, it's the Devils and Details Markets podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan, and with me is David Scott from BI. Jirio. And our guest for this edition is Jordan Alessio from ABC Bullion. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Look, over this edition, we'll be talking about a few things. Uh, First, the outlook for Australian interest rates and the Australian dollar in the wake of a rate cut that just weeks ago nobody was expecting. There'll be an update on activity in the Australian property market because, hey... Uh, It's Australia. We'll look at the action in commodity markets uh, lately and specifically talk about um, Jordan's specialty, uh, gold. Uh, And we'll finish with a look at the footy where North Melbourne have been on an insane winning streak, uh, which is surely going to come to an end when they face their next opponents in Essendon. But look to the um, pointy end of things and interest rates. When the RBA cut rates at the start of this month, financial markets had moved a long way in adjusting their positioning uh, over just a matter of weeks, based entirely around the downside miss uh, in the inflation network. Warren Hogan, uh, who was chief economist today at ANZ before he left a couple of months ago, wrote a piece on Business Insider um, after the rate cut, arguing that Australia now risks falling into the dubious club of developed economies with official interest rates at zero. Now, David, I remember when we were first getting to know each other, you know, what were your likes and dislikes, and um, your dislikes were, you know, loud noises and uh, zero interest rate policies. Do you agree with this take from Warren that Australia risks
2: falling into this ever-downward spiral into um, zero or close to zero interest rates? Not a strong possibility, but I think it's certainly a possibility. Back in history, over the past uh, past few years, the, uh, the low of the cash rate was going to be three percent. Then it was going to be two and a half percent. Beyond that, two percent, and now we're sitting here with a one-handle, one point seven five percent. Everything that uh, has been tried around the world uh, beyond that, that we are seen from other major central banks, Fed, Bank of Japan, European Central Bank, amongst others, uh, has not been able to go and spur the inflationary. Uh, Demons that, uh, that people are looking for at the moment to, uh, to go and you know, allow for monetary policy to work a little bit more effectively. Yes, I do think that uh, there's a possibility. Uh, I certainly think there's another couple of rate cuts to come. Could actually go below that even more. I noticed today that JP Morgan are out with a, a 1% call for the cash rate by midway through next year. Balance of risk, do you think it's going to be at one75 or 1% then? In my view, it's probably going to be closer to 1%. Jordan, how do you see interest rates uh, tracking over the next year or so?
1: Yeah, look, I'd I'd agree with David. I think that at the very least we'll see rates head, if not to 1%, at least 1.25. Um, If you look at where the sort of um, implied yield curve is, there's at least one, one and a half cuts now largely priced in, which is an extraordinary change from where we were just two weeks ago um, when pretty much everyone thought two was the bottom. Um, I actually think the RBA, and, and look, I think the RBA has done a pretty good job over the last few years. I think they cop a lot of uh, unfair flack, um, re-concerns around the property market, which I know we'll talk about. It's it's not just their job to, to regulate the property market or worry about that. Um, but I think, actually, for the first time, they made a panicked decision and a mistake, um, cutting to 175. Um, I think that one rogue inflation print was not worthy of making that, that change, um, especially when... Look, I think the, the Australian economy is pretty weak and, and we can probably talk about some of those factors, but, you know, if you look at GDP growth, if you look at, the un, you know, the unemployment rate, there is no good reason why, based on those metrics, the cash rate should be at 175, 1.75%. Um, having said that, um, you know, back in early 2015, we wrote a piece at ABC Bullion titled... We are just discussing the Australian economy and, and we titled it The Wealthiest Country on Earth But No Longer the Lucky Country... Um, and we looked at basically all of the headwinds that the Aussie economy is facing now, um, not just mining capex, but private debt levels, um, even the expected rollover in housing construction. Um, so the fact that the RBA has been easing rather than stabilising or even raising interest rates, which was the market expectation 18 months ago, uh, is not a surprise to us. Um, I, I think um, they will definitely cut at least another couple of times. Um, you know, whether they go to zero like Warren's expecting. I, I don't know that that's, you know, it's quite going to get that bad, but it's going to get worse before it gets
0: better. David,
1: what impact do you think that will have
0: on the Australian dollar and will that movement be sufficient to um, reignite some of the inflationary
2: uh, pressures? It uh, would certainly going to lower the Australian dollar lower than what it is at present. Uh, beyond that, though, it's, uh, to go and spur those inflationary uh, forces, uh, it's doubtful. One of the key missing links is this, uh, this whole fiscal side of things in Australia, which we're missing from uh, from the whole discussion. If we're going to go and try and say you now where monetary policy is going to go, it really depends on what fiscal policy does in this country. Uh, there's been lots of talk about infrastructure ramping up and the need for infrastructure to go. Uh, that's probably one of the key things uh, in terms of where policy will end up. As for the Australian dollar, where it would potentially go, say the, uh, the cash rate goes to 1.25, uh, the obvious question is, well, the answer would be to say that uh, you're looking sort of low 60s, uh, around those kind of levels, maybe mid-60s, but that's also based on the premise that other central banks hold policy steady as well. And uh, as we've uh, come to expect, uh, that's not a certainty of anything. It's more likely that we're going to see a, a whole lot more uh, easing coming through from the likes of the Bank of Japan, potentially the European Central Bank, and... Who knows uh, whether the Fed can continue hiking at the moment, so that's another big question.
0: Look, one of the the big stories attached to the falling value of the Australian dollar, um, so let's see, maybe 60 cents, that is a long way from where we are right now. That's a big fall. Um, But one of the big stories that has um, been attached to the falling value of the Australian dollar against other currencies has been the stoking of demand from foreign investors um, uh, for Australian property, particularly um, Australian housing unit, units and apartments, um, so uh, you get this neutralising effect as the um, as the the, the on prices for uh, somebody who's looking at it um, in US dollar terms. So essentially, broadly flat. Um, you know, if if property goes up um, uh, 10% over over two over a year, which is sort of what we've become used to in Sydney now. Um, and the Aussie falls, um, say, 6 or 7%. There's no change. David and Jordan, property's a national sport, right? Um, but we've had some data on housing loans out this week. David, I might start with you and where you think um, uh, property, um, the property market is at because there has been a little bit of a change of direction in, um, in investor lending levels.
2: Uh, and then I'll throw to you, Jordan. Well, the property market looks like it's picking up and much more quickly than what uh, people were anticipating. There's been a a lot of analysis that's been done about uh, house prices in the country uh, and where they were head in 2016. And I notice uh, NAB has uh, has come out with a lot of of analysis and they're predicting that uh, there was going to be actually falls in uh, in the value of apartment prices and uh, and very mediocre growth for house prices in general. The figures that came out yesterday from the ABS in relation to housing, lending, finance, uh, they showed a big spike in uh, investor loans again and... Uh, certainly an acceleration from what we've seen over the second half of 2015. But that's come at a time when you have seen owner-occupier lending soften again. So whether it's actually due with compositional change by lenders, how they're classifying these these loans, that's what it kind of smells like to me. It doesn't uh, sense that there's a a, a rapid uh, pickup in housing credit at all. Um, beyond the uh, the credit side of things. You now, house prices, uh, they're moving higher and they're doing exactly what you'd expect in a low interest rate environment, uh, a low return environment. People are looking for safety. They're not looking for uh, for stock markets. Uh, they're certainly not looking for c- certain types of commodities. Uh, they're looking for what they know and trust, and that's Australian property.
1: Yeah, look, I, I agree with David again. Um, I think, you know after a sort of 30 year largely uninterrupted
2: bull market for property
1: across the nation as a whole, talking capital cities as a general rule here, it's not surprising that whenever there's any fear people they just feel comfortable in bricks and mortar. Now, that's not the experience that people in parts of Europe or the United States would have, but because we've never had any kind of major housing correction, it's not surprising that, that everyday Australians continue to trust property. Um, I agree there's um, a bit of a lack of clarity around some of the, I guess, the accuracy of some of the data and the classifications, um, so I don't read a huge amount into the latest changes regarding investor lending versus owner-occupiers and the like. Um, but I reckon there's a couple of other interesting points here as well. Probably never more important than now when it comes to housing is that it's really almost – it's not disingenuous, but it's almost too simplistic to talk about the Australian housing market now um, in the sense that you know, an off-the-plan apartment you know, out in the you know, western suburbs of Sydney is a very, very different investment proposition than a three-bedroom house in Balmain. Um, or, you know, a, a, a nice a nice place in Toorak or something like that. So And look, even if you look at the last few years, all of, you know, Australian housing values have grown, but that's purely because of what's happened in Sydney and to some degree Melbourne, the rest of the country, isn't really experiencing a housing boom.
0: You, um, I think maybe six, six, 12 months ago, Credit Suisse uh, felt the need to write a note to uh, its clients saying that you can't buy Australian property. It's not one thing yeah. um, that you can't be exposed to Australian housing. You actually need to be exposed to a specific asset.
1: Correct. That's exactly right. And funnily enough, that's, um, I, I know we're going to talk about gold later, but it's one of the things that you know, with an asset like gold, there's just one type of gold, if you know what I mean. Whereas when it comes to Aussie housing, even the Aussie stock market, the bond market, you name it, there are so many different components to it that it's much harder to talk about it as a as a whole. There's a couple of other things that are that are worth pointing out though. Um, again, there could be a little bit of um, you know, alarm bells in this or um a bit of sort of sensationalism, but I saw Harry Triggerboff was out saying that he's, he reckons Chinese demand for apartments has practically halved for Australian apartments. Uh Hong Kong uh housing prices and the like are starting to soften as well. Um re, re- your point earlier um Paul regarding the I guess the fact that Aussie housing hasn't got more expensive for Chinese investors or people with US dollars and the like. I think that's very true, but I think we all also know that for those types of investors, it's less been about the attractiveness of it as an income-producing asset as it has been about wanting to get capital into Australia. Um, and the final point that I'd make about Aussie housing, or actually probably two points, one, I actually think the debate around negative gearing um, and what came out in the federal budget is a real... It's a real factor for the housing market now because if you actually think Labor are going to get in and they're going to change the rules around negative gearing, then you need to get in now. And also with some of the changes that the coalition have now mentioned towards superannuation, which is effectively limiting the future attractiveness of it as a a tax – well, not a tax-free environment necessarily, but an attractive tax environment – Negative gearing is not going to be touched at all, and capital gains for property is not going to be touched at all by the coalition. So kind of irrespective of which way you think the election is going to go, housing just got more attractive relative to other assets as a result of that. If um, you've
0: got uh, one, if, say if you've got $2.5 in a, in a super account, you need to reduce that to uh, 1600000 six million million, you've got $900,000, where do you put it?
1: Yeah. Do you buy more Aussie equities? Do you just leave it in a term deposit, which is now paying... You know effectively zero after inflation you know you certainly wouldn't want to lock a td away for you know two or three years now i think with um you know how committed central banks will be to raise inflation um there's one other um there's one other point um regarding property as well um and look i'm i i, I wouldn't be an investor in the average australian property given the yield and given the, the sort of debt you've got to take on But when people talk about the potential for a property price crash, look, clearly it's there. But you ask yourself, what's the catalyst going to be? Interest rates are low and are only going to go lower. So there's going to have to be some kind of employment shock. People aren't just going to give away their house because of the fact it's it's quite expensive to service service the debt. They've signed up to the debt already. Mm -hmm. The debt's only going to get cheaper. So unless there's actually an employment shock, you can sort of see housing actually, I don't think it can't, repeat the returns it's already just demonstrated. But I'm not convinced there'll be a, you know, any sort of major correction anytime soon.
0: Which is a nice segue for risk or the absence thereof, which is part of the, the, um, the product that, that you offer at uh, ABC Bullion. Uh, you brought
1: a kilo of gold with you. I did indeed.
0: Look at this thing.
1: That's, um, that comes from, the, uh, from our very own ABC refinery, which is... Uh, It's one of only two London Good Delivery gold refiners in Australia. So for people that aren't familiar with how the gold market works, the the vast majority of the global gold trade is still over the counter um, and most of it settles Loco London, i.e. the change of ownership of gold stocks held in London. Now, to ensure the integrity of the market, there are only a select few refiners whose gold is allowed to actually support the loco London trade. ABC Refinery is obviously one of, it's the only private LBMA accredited refinery in Australia. Um, So yeah, we we produce a few hundred of those every week and they go off to investors in Australia and offshore. Right. So,
0: and what percentage of of what you uh, refine and produce uh, Mm -hmm. is kept in Australia in your own vaults?
1: Yeah. Look, it's probably, it's probably. Uh, look, maybe let's say 60-40. A lot of it still goes offshore. Um, o- overall, the percentage of gold to Asia. Correct. Correct. Overall, the percentage of gold that goes offshore from Australia in terms of all of the gold that's refined here, it's it's much higher than that in percentage terms. I'm just talking about our own refinery and our own business. So we've got uh, the better part now of sort of 40,000 investors, um, a few thousand self-managed super funds, retail and wholesale managed funds as well that all own gold as part of their portfolios. So obviously that gold stays on shore, goes into their fund, typically gets stored Um, either in storage with us and then we can give them a 24-hour two-way market or it'll actually go into a private vault. So we've got our own private vault here in Sydney. Um, and people can put, you know, if you're an SMSF trustee and you wanted to put 100 grand of gold into your portfolio, you can vault it for 250 bucks a year. So it's it's actually very very. Which would know, be efficient.
0: around about two of those little kilo bars that you got.
1: That's that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. exactly right. They're yeah. tiny. I can't yeah.
0: believe the size, but it. it weighs as much of a, as a, a bag of sugar, and it looks like a chocolate bar. <laughs> um,
1: very expensive Toblerone.
0: Uh, now it has been a big year uh, for commodities generally, and be huge. Um, Just when everybody thought that China was going to come off, this huge surge of industrial demand um, has kind of come out of nowhere, um, uh, thanks to some stimulus from the the good um, people in the the Chinese uh, Politburo. Now, look, we'd love to be able to, to um, suggest that volatility in financial markets has finally gone mainstream when the treasurer is talking about, uh, uh, about volatility in a speech to the National Press Club, um, and he really did that earlier this year. Um, but let's say for now that volatility is threatening to go mainstream. Uh, in an environment like this,
1: what role does gold play for investors? Yeah, look, I think, it, I think it plays three key roles, even in an environment uh, like one today where official inflation rates are quite low. Um, probably first worth clearing up that, you know, there's a, there's a myth out there that gold only does well in periods of high inflation. Um, the last 15 years disprove that quite clearly. It's been the best performing liquid asset during the period of the lowest period of official inflation on record. Um but there's probably there's three key roles that gold can play in an investor's portfolio today. One, it's uncorrelated to financial assets and tends to be the best-performing risk-off asset whenever equities fall. So the traditional argument would be look to balance out my portfolio, I'll own cash and bonds. The reality is even over the last 40 years, gold has been a better diversifier than those assets. That's especially relevant today when cash is paying zero and there's $7 trillion of negative yielding government debt out there. Um, the second role is that Let's stop and think for a second. Why are interest rates low? They're low because the economy is weak. So it's only natural that people seek out more defensive safe haven assets in environments like this. So if, if anyone goes back and studies the data and looks at the performance of gold in low real rate environments, say minus you know, 2% or lower, you'll again tend to find that gold has outperformed stocks, bonds, cash in, in this kind of environment. Um, The third, I think, really important role that gold plays for an investor today um, is to do with liquidity. And to me, liquidity, you know, I've been lucky enough to be in financial markets. This is my 20th year. And my view, and I'd be interested in yours on this, David, my view is liquidity is the one risk that no one worries about until everyone worries about it. And you even see now, um, you've got the Reserve Bank of Australia have spoken about it, JP Morgan has spoken about it, you even had the, the head of Aberdeen Asset Management speak about the question marks and the concerns rec- uh, surrounding liquidity, for example, in the bond market. Now, the, the global gold market is a hundred billion dollar a day turnover market, so it, is, it has exceptional liquidity for an investor. So that's another really attractive reason to have it in a portfolio. You know, if you think you lock money in a way to term deposit, well you can't touch that for x amount of time. If the share market gets volatile. Look, if you're in a blue chip stock, you're probably okay, but there are parts of the market that you just can't get out of. Gold, you, know, you may not be happy with the price from one day to the next. But there is no question you can get in and out of the market whenever you want. And that's a very, very attractive quality for an investment, particularly in in more volatile times
2: question I wanted to go and ask you about the gold prices, uh, and not just in US dollar terms and in Australian dollar terms, is uh, where do you see it heading? Uh, obviously, uh, I just saw some uh, some data from the World Gold Council came out today showing that there was a, a record increase uh, for the quarter in demand, uh, which could be perceived to be a sign that uh, people are getting a little bit nervous about what's going on in financial markets. Uh, do you have a view about uh, where the gold's going, say, in US and Aussie dollar terms?
1: Yeah, look... If you look at the last 15 years, gold um, in pretty much every currency, but let's just focus on Aussie and US, has average gains of between 85 and 10% per annum. All of the structural factors and, and macro factors that have been driving that are still in place and arguably are being strengthened with the question marks there are out there now regarding the effectiveness of central bank policy. So, structurally, I think gold's in a bull market. I think expecting it to do 10 to 15% per annum is not actually unexpected and could continue for some time. You know, if we see a huge hike in real interest rates, then that's going to hurt gold. But the, the global economy can't survive that. You know, if we see a continued bull market in equities, then again there's going to be an opportunity cost to hold gold. You know, that would that would dent prices. Um, interestingly enough, I was um, speaking to um, a commodities um, analyst at, at S&P earlier in the week, and they were commenting on forget gold for a second here that the last seven years has been the longest period and most substantial period of financial asset outperformance relative to commodities in the last 15 years. Sorry, in the last 50 years. That's that's very suggestive that actually the commodity cycle is due to outperform and outperform meaningfully in the next few years. So I actually think that's a that's actually a pretty good thing for the Aussie stock market. It's a good thing for the Aussie economy because we do still rely on this stuff. Um, But the you know the added advantage gold's got over all of those other commodities is the efficiency with which you can invest in it and the fact that it's it's a monetary store of wealth rather than something that gets used in, in, in the day-to-day economy. Um, so, look, my view, if you, if you ask me for a, um, you know, a price target, say, 12 months from now in Aussie dollars, I think it's very, very likely that, that Aussie dollar gold will push through $2,000. That's partly due to support and strength in, in the US dollar gold price and just as much as a result of what you were talking about earlier with the currency and, and the likelihood that it'll head below 70 cents. We like to have
0: uh, our calls uh, on Business Insider, and it's uh, great to hear you put a number on it. Two thousand dollars is a big call. Um, so Aussie, so. Aussie that is. A call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If it was two thousand US, um, I think you know we'd all be out of a job, and you know, <laughs> um, r- rowing our way out of Sydney while it burns to the ground. Um, uh, look. Um, one quick thing: the commodity rally this year. Let's just look back over the last five months, uh, four or five months. Um, uh, a lot of it has been this burst of uh, stimulus uh, from the Chinese government. Uh, David, do you think we're seeing the unwinding now of a bit of a speculative bubble? We've had this wild action in iron ore prices and steel prices. Um, What's your take?
2: I presume you're referring to uh, the now infamous Dalian Commodity Exchange and the Shanghai Futures Exchange, uh, rebar futures, coke and coal futures. We've all become experts of that uh, in the last, uh, last little period. Uh, yes I think it's a massive unwind of uh of speculative positions and you're seen in the open interest and uh in volumes that have been traded now and even the volatility over the last couple of days has absolutely shrunk to z- n nil, nil it's uh certainly the uh the threat of uh higher margins and higher trading fees has uh certainly gone and dented the uh demand out of the uh the Shanghai taxi drivers industry as uh, as they've been referred to as the people who have been dabbling in the uh the bulk commods um as for Obviously, that was a big contributing factor uh, behind what's happened with uh, with things like iron ore, coke and coal, et cetera, over the last uh, last four months, uh, but more so, it was more about what China, when it did, they obviously decided that, uh, that growth wasn't uh, quite up to scratch earlier this year. They decided to go and uh, stimulate, or in some people's uh, view, hit the panic button. I tend to go and lean towards the latter. It was uh, very abrupt, caught a lot of people off guard, and... Uh, with inventories being run down over many years based on uh, on low demands, all of a sudden uh, things spiked up. Uh, whether it actually lasts beyond the uh, beyond the next couple of months is uh, is very debatable. Uh, particularly given the the continued push and the rhetoric that's coming out of uh, the Chinese government for the need to restructure these industries.
1: Yeah, look, I I'd agree 100%, David. Um, I think it's it's a little bit almost like the effect of QE on financial markets. The you know the injection gets stronger, the impact gets, you know, becomes less meaningful each and every time. Um, the the more concerning thing, I mean, look, there are obvious concerns anything China related in terms of the impact on the Aussie economy, but I think the really concerning thing is the the impact on the budget and potentially even the AAA rating. So, the the budget had $60 priced in for iron ore, um, which I think is I think it's only been above that for nine days in the last 12 months. I think the sell side expects iron ore to be closer to $40 12 months from now. Um, So, you know, if you look at then the impact of iron ore on the overall terms of trade, the budget has the terms of trade basically flatlining from here, which is at a level that is the highest it's ever been outside of the recent mining boom. So it's a little bit like a stock market crashing and bottoming out with PEs at 20 to 1. It just doesn't happen, right? So the real issue is it's almost unquestionable that what we've seen in the last six months in in the iron ore market and in China is not sustainable. The impact of that on the Australian economy is going to be quite significant, um, particularly in terms of national income, particularly in terms of the deficit. There's no way it'll be as, as... Um, uh, there's no way it'll be as forecast by by Treasury. Um, And and worst come to worst, if if we do lose the the AAA credit rating, then that's bad news for the entire financial sector considering the the imprimatur on on the bank balance sheets that the the government currently has. Uh, Bearish. This well, cautious, problem. cautious. I, I'm not. I'm not saying. I, I think the. I think the budget outlook is. Is it's not going to be as as Scott Morrison forecast. That's not you know to have a go at the Liberals or Treasury or whatever. It's just not going to. They've constantly been over optimistic for the last five years. Everyone acknowledges that. Um, I just think that we're, we're... as I said, sort of 15 months ago when I wrote that piece around no longer the lucky country, we've had 25 years of uninterrupted growth. We're the wealthiest nation on earth when you look at per capita wealth. If we go, if we go through a period between now and the end of the, the decade where you know real income growth is a little bit slower, maybe where asset values come down a little bit, where we can't enjoy as much of the good life as we have been for the last quarter century, I still think we're doing pretty well compared to the majority of the world. I think that's the thing people need to keep in mind. That's right.
0: Uh, Greg McKenna on Business Insider talks about how we are in terms of how we think about the budget anchored on. 2004, 2005, 2006, and during the week, I was looking at a chart of the Treasury's accuracy over the past 20 years uh, in terms of forecasting real GDP growth, and they missed to the low side. Um, all the way through the boom by maybe twenty five, fifty basis points each year. Um and then but what has happened in the years since it's been you know missing consistently by f- you know, fifty basis
1: points. That's um, um that's why everyone thinks Peter Costello is the best treasurer we've ever had, because all the numbers ended up being you know much more attractive than what was forecast. So. And
0: even <laughs> when they were forecasting, you know, six percent nominal GDP growth, mm. they were undershooting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, you are listening to the Devils and Details Markets Podcast from Business Insider Australia. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at B-I-Oz. B-I-A-U-S. Okay, um we are going to get down to the real business end of things, guys. Who is going to win the flag? Uh there is I have the table, the AFL table in front of me. North Melbourne at number one. Uh and played seven One, seven. What is going on? And down at the bottom, poor old Dockers played seven, won a big fat zero.
2: Well, certainly, uh, Fremantle, uh, the Dockers have uh, have certainly fallen very far very quickly. Um, So I'm not predicting they'll win the flag. Uh, (laughs) Nor am I predicting Collingwood.
1: That that investment thesis has failed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's time to write off the season already. We'll never know. Maybe they'll go on a massive winning streak. Um, I think there's a massive game this weekend, actually. Uh, two of the teams that I favour are Adelaide and Geelong. Anyone who's been seeing them play this year will recognise that they're playing exceptional footy. Uh, and they're meeting this weekend. I think it's uh, in Adelaide, your old hometown, Jordan. So, That's correct. Uh, so should be a good night for the Crows there. Um, being a an, an Cindy Swan supporter for many, many decades, uh, I'd love to say the Swan's a win. And look... They've got their big litmus test coming in the next uh, next couple of months. They're playing a lot of the big teams, including North, uh, including the Dogs, including Greater Western Sydney and Hawthorne. Uh, so that will give me a much better read, and uh, we might come and revisit this say uh, in the, uh, maybe a month or, or six weeks' time and see how we're travelling mid-season. I um I must admit I am a massive Crows fan.
1: I was lucky to be uh, there in um, 1997 when they won their first ever Grand Final and Darren Jarman kicked five goals in the last quarter. Still the the best sporting memory of of my life. Um, so I'm I'm definitely um, biased when it comes to the Crows, but they've actually looked pretty good this year. So I think they'll they'll threaten the top four. I don't know that they'll go all the way. Um, pretty hard still to go against sort of Hawthorne, Sydney. I think Greater Western Sydney are probably some kind of chance to give it a bit of a shake this year. They're they're probably you know the the agile and innovative team the um, that that are doing quite well. Um, apart from that, uh, I suppose the only other side that I, I don't think Geelong have, have got it in them this year. Um, although they'll 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 be competitive, I just find it hard to pick North Melbourne or the Bulldogs. I don't know why. Um, just maybe because they sort of actually never go on and win since Wayne Carey's days but maybe I'll be wrong
2: this year I don't know they they just particularly with North the Kangas have been playing such good footy over the last couple of years and they tend to get to the, uh, the, the prelim and then just fall over uh, and it's just something that the yeah. same with me like I'd love to go and look they're, they've, uh, they're a proud club and they've got a long history uh, but, and there's been a long time between flags you know, we're talking uh, mid 90s uh, the last time they won so they're due, but uh, there's something about uh, just I can't go and, and pick them. Seven and zero as well. It's a bit like the ASX early last year, shot out the gate and then fell over. So I wonder whether they've peaked too soon. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I must make a disclaimer. I, I went and had a punt on uh, on the sports bet the uh, last weekend, I went and went had uh, Greater Western Sydney in the top four. So I think that uh, they're certainly uh, not this year, but uh, next year they could be a real premiership threat. Yeah.
0: Uh, just looking down through the table, if you take out the outliers at North Melbourne at the top and Fremantle at the bottom, you've got this beautifully distributed bell curve where everything <laughs> is exactly where you expect it to be. Geelong and Sydney up at the top, right in the middle you've got Adelaide, Melbourne, Port, you know. And then as you go down, you know, Collingwood, down where they belong, you know, four from the bottom if you take out M- the outlier, Most people would have thought Fremantle. Port would have done better.
1: Yeah, Richmond again, like get all the support, huge fan base, can just never get it together. Essendon, that's the that's the um, Bernie Madoff of the AFL. Got caught. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, it's it's a tough.
2: It's a, you know what the good thing is though. It's a good year. It's a, cause it's actually tough to pick who's going to win. There's actually a lot of good games of footy being played. Yeah, it's uh, it's still look. I'm going to go out there on a limb and I'll say Sydney, only because I'm biased, but uh, I think they've been playing some relatively good footy. But you now we'll uh, we'll see how they go and perform in the other uh, big tests are to come. But you know, certainly it's an exciting football season, uh, as it always is, and it's good to see. You. Less favoured teams, shall we say, uh, amongst uh, the broader AFL community, not doing as great as they normally would.
0: Guys, we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, this has been the Devils and Details Markets podcast from Business Insider Australia, and huge thanks to our guest this week, Jordan Alessio from ABC Bullion. My pleasure, and um, we'll catch you soon.
2: Today's episode was
1: delivered by Australia Post. They put everything behind your business, helping you save time and money. And with My Post Business, you can save at least 10% when you send on average five eligible parcels a week. Get more info and see the terms and conditions at auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.